Marty, this guy's collection looks more impressive than yours. I know. That's, this is what you call bottle envy, Justin. You know, uh, it's, <laughs> that's, it's a thing whiskey oh, collectors that's, get. That's, that's, just, that's just display. The, the, table, the table in front of me is probably about 70 bottles on it, and there's another to the side over here, another uh, 60 or 80 bottles on it. Just, just some of the open stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's always nice to have your and collection. I, I, you know, I'm, we're, we're talking about some some of the other stuff, and we do have a bottle of Burks in the uh, 1880s sale. So, uh, yeah, I pulled, out, I pulled out my bottle. This uh, 1910s. That's the old stuff, you know. There's the, the there's the stuff that's a bit older than that again that you're selling at the auction. Joe Hyman, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you doing? Now, Joe is with Skinner's Auction House over in in Boston, and uh, they're auctioning off what's suspected, I have to say suspected, you'll fill us in a bit better than this, Joe, of being the oldest sealed bottle of whiskey in existence. I'm right there, aren't I, Joe? Well, partly right. Okay. The oldest whiskey, the bottle itself is from around the 1860s. Yeah. Based on whatever evidence we've been able to uncover, uh, the company Evans and Ragland, who uh, bottled it, was only in existence after the Civil War, which ended in 1865. Yeah. So um, based on the uh, manufacture of the glass in that time period, uh, we pretty much uh, put the bottle uh, in the 1840 to 1860s. So um, they didn't really exist before the war. So it would have to be probably between 1865 and 1870. For the bottle. Right. For the bottle itself, the whiskey, Uh whiskey inside it. Yeah. Apparently comes from much earlier. And that was the, the boast of of one of the people that gifted it along the lines some 70-plus years ago um, that it was from the, the Morgan collection, and it, it had predated the Civil War. So, you know, it's a fine, fine story in and of itself. But, it is. You know, J.P. Morgan. Like J.P. Morgan, the multimillionaire billionaire guy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and apparently uh, we we found we found evidence that he he showed up in uh, there was a famous collection in Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, and he showed up somewhere around the turn of the century. They were they were apparently old money going back to like the seventeen hundreds even, um, which is where this when this house was built like in the seventeen eighties or something, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so they were old money, and by the time he he comes along, he's new money, and they basically blew their fortune, and and he he bought all their whiskey, and the only thing that was left was a few empties of this, uh, <laughs> according according to according to an article that we found in the Baltimore Sun back back uh, 1976. Yeah. So we, we confirmed the Morgan connection. Um, we tried to get. Uh, uh, the Morgan Library to find find some more information about it, but their their records were were horrible, really. Uh, 
<laughs> it's just wine, whiskey, scotch, rum, yeah. uh, Madeira, but no, no details about anything. Occasionally, there's a notation that oh, we uh, we bought a bought a collection from somebody or something like that. But you know, there's very few details uh, in 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 their records. Yeah. So we anything there. I mean, we're trying to get something that the the house itself is is in the uh, National Historic Site. We're trying to get some of the uh, archival information to try to ascertain, like when it was when it was bottled, if they have any kind of notations or or, or receipts or anything, yeah, tags, any kind of information about it. But you know, this is this is what we got. You know, it was bottled yeah. in the eighteen sixties and purportedly pre pre uh, Civil War whiskey, and so it's a fun story. And, Absolutely, you know, as as we are following it, it does it does. You know, each step we confirm some of these some of these uh, uh, stories that the family is telling about because they've had the bottle for sixty something years themselves. Now it's been carbon dated. Yeah, carbon- I said you know, well, there's going to be a lot of people that just to think it's 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 hogwash. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, if I can carefully take out a sample and send it for 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 testing, uh, would you let me do it? And he said, sure. I mean, he had no reason to believe that it wasn't real himself. Yeah. Um, and he's the third generation of, of this family that's that's been the caretaker of it. And he himself did research and found some information about Evans and Ragland at the University of Georgia. His, his uncle, who he got the bottle from, uh, did his own research back in the 1970s uh, with year-long correspondence with the mayor of LaGrange, Georgia, trying to find out what, what anything about this. But this is before the internet and where everything was digitized. So yeah. digging out information on something uh, as as obscure as a bottle of whiskey is like, who's really going to spend the time doing something like that unless unless you have something really significant and now it's become significant. So, yeah. um, so I think each step of the way they trying to figure out what, what, what this thing is and where it came from. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've said, it's kind of like the, the red violin of, of whiskey bottles, because <laughs> you have this family that's had it for 50 something years and they got it from a guy named James Burns, who was a very close friend of, uh, of the grandfather. Uh, he was a neighbor. They were very close friends and Burns himself was just a, a, a historical figure in his own right, just a, a, a handful of people in U.S. history who's who was at the upper echelons of of government in every branch. He was in he was in uh, Congress and the Senate, and then he became a justice of the Supreme Court until until uh, we got got into the war. So his his good friend Frank Roosevelt uh, Roosevelt uh, needed him. So he he resigned from the court, became uh, director of war mobilization, and was basically attached to the hip to FDR for the rest of the war. Uh, well, until until FDR passed away, and then and then Truman made him secretary of state. He they, he then uh, retired back to South Carolina uh, to become governor for a term. So <laughs> I mean, this guy is just like an amazing character in his own right, yeah. and. Gifted, he gifted the bottle to his pal and called it a a conversation piece. If that's if that's not an understatement, and, <laughs> and, and he, 
you know, and then he spins the tale about it. You know, we have we have the we have the gift card that he gave with him because the family basically revered this guy. It was like, let's say, Winston Churchill gave somebody yeah. a thing over over uh, your way and said and spun some story about it. And if the family was like that close to him, yeah, they'd do the same thing. They 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 cherish this thing for the for the, for the rest of their lives, and that's basically what they did. And and Burns spun this story that J.P. Morgan Jr. showed up one day, gave, gave him the bottle, gave one to FDR and another one to Truman. So I, I, I just think the only time that the them would have been hanging out together would have been when during the war itself. And, and every industrialist in, in, in America was, was uh, you know, working on the war, war effort themselves. So it, it kind of makes sense. That's when it, it, it might have happened that, that he, he did this gift. And he was known for doing that, giving, giving rare bottles to people and things like that. So he, he boasted that it came from his father's collection and it predated the Civil War. Again, this is like like a fun a fun thing, and unless unless you can confirm anything, that's that's all it is 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 some conjecture. But yeah. Then, then you know we we find this other newspaper article from like hundreds of miles away in a different time frame, you know, confirming the Morgan connection that he did buy this collection from somebody in in Baltimore back yeah. around the turn of the century. Then we we tested it, and it came back as this, you know crazy crazy thing and you know, who knows where it came from and you know i mean you, you do see sometimes even even into the modern modern times where where you know the inventory was not very good in some of some of the distilleries in scotland and ireland wherever no. and and a barrel pops up out of nowhere that like oh where did this come from absolutely and then when they, when they go look into it it's like oh this thing is 40 years old it's 50 years <laughs> old you know where did this come from and and then they bottle it up, and it's a great sensation. So I, yeah. I'm just it's the uh, right now. It's the only thing that I can think of is that it was probably uh, stored in a demijohn somewhere and forgotten about. And then eventually, uh, after the war, you know, people were scrambling to get to get whiskey to bottle it up, and you know, in, in the post-war effort to yeah. uh, revitalize the economies and whatnot. And and they they happened to get a bar uh, this this demijohn. Uh, filled with filled with whiskey, and they they just bottled it up. Absolutely, you know, uh, exactly when it's from. Who knows exactly? Who knows? I don't know either because <laughs> was, nobody was distilling uh, corn in in Georgia in that time. They had to, they had to get uh, corn elsewhere, so they weren't going to start distilling it. They, the local local farm distilleries would have been distilling the products, not not any other stuff. In fact. Uh, we found at the University of Georgia archives uh, uh, all these court documents about Evans and Rackland in the 1870s was suing the railroad for ruining their corn shipment. Uh, uh, so they, the corn, the corn was coming from somewhere else. So uh, most likely that the whiskey was coming from somewhere else as well. Yeah, so it could be Kentucky bourbon heading up over into could be Kentucky, could be Indiana, could be anywhere. Yeah, it could be anywhere. Now. There, the estimate of this bottle is between twenty. Uh, was it thirty and forty thousand? Twenty thousand and forty thousand. I mean, initially we had we had a lower estimate on it. We raised the estimate based on the, the tests, but 
it is it is a bottle from Georgia. We don't know where it's from. So, you know, how aggressive are you gonna, can can somebody be in with in the estimates? You know, yeah. all you're gonna do is chase people away. And uh, um, so, you know, with conservative, we try to be conservative, especially in an unknown. Yeah, so pretty, pretty uh, 20, 20 to 40, I, you know, is it going to go past that? The way it's looking, it's probably will. Because it's, uh, as, as, as we're talking now, it's at 32.5. Yeah. I think Justin was bidding on it there. That, that's where the 32.5 come in. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I hope he, I hope he put up his. Uh, there's a twenty thousand dollar good faith uh, deposit required to bid on it. Yes, it was Marty McCauley's name. Don't worry, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be more like it. Now, I, now, I guess he got your credit card number or something. Uh, I would be. I would be like him. It would be. Now, you've lots of lots of other spirits. The Skinners obviously are a massive auction house. You're a big auction house who cover art and ceramics and all the other paraphernalia of, of, of collectibles as such. Now, the world of spirits and, and, and especially whiskey is starting to move dramatically. I mean, prices are starting to soar. And how, how do you, you're obviously seeing that on, on the front line as such. Yeah, it, 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 it runs in, in peaks and valleys in a way. Um, where we get a lull of like six months to a year sometimes every couple of years it, it like it falls back a little bit and and it's a little quiet and all of a sudden something exciting happens and it roars back to life and 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 you know, goes in off in a whole new direction and, and through the pandemic and 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 everything it's it's everything's taken off and, yeah. and it, is it's doubled or tripled in the past year. Yeah. I mean, I think with interest rates sort of worldwide being so low, people are looking something tangible that they can, assets that they can buy to invest in. And whiskey seems to be flavor of the month. Well, also it's a commodity too. So, so there's also the um, people are drinking them. So there's natural attrition as well. So, so you're getting a, like a double effect of mm-hmm. Oh, not just the, the the natural investment value and the, and the increase in value for for rare items, you're also getting some of them are coming out of the market because people people drink them and then they they no longer exist. Yeah. So, so the market might think there's an aggregate value for a particular bottling, but as soon as you start taking a few of those out of the the, the mix, then it's that many fewer. So you automatically have an increase in value on a per bottle basis. Yeah, it's uh, it, there's also with with the likes of whiskey, you've got so many aspects to the collecting of it. You know, from the bottle design to the, the you know the, the the location of the distilleries. You know, people collect Irish whiskeys, they collect Scotch whiskeys, Japanese. I'm sure in the states, there's people who really just collect Kentucky bourbon. You know, old bottles of that. So there's all those different aspects that a lot of other Collectibles might not just have the same thing. Plus, the fact you can get drunk on it, <laughs> you can have a bit of a party right, with well, them. Also, it's also a, a lot of people, myself included, things that that I would particularly collect per se. I mean, ninety to ninety-five percent of my my collection is primarily a drinking collection. That eventually, uh, I plan on drinking them. You know, at this point, at this point, I hope I live long enough to <laughs> to, to drink. 
all these bottles. But um, I know I, I collect like birth year stuff, and I know a lot of other people collect birth year stuff. Yeah. So, so you know that's that's another aspect. And and eventually at at milestone birthdays, you pull out something that's from from that year and. And you know, I did that myself a few years ago, and I, I turned fifty. I pulled out some some uh, nineteen sixty six bottles. Yeah. Well, the thing is, I noticed you've got a bottle of Willie Napier um, Irish whiskey, which was yep. uh, distilled in nineteen forty five. So, Justin, you could buy that for your birthday. <laughs> what I want to know is, have you ever come across anything uh, with a provenance that you couldn't prove? Yeah, I mean, occasionally things like that come up, and and you know, people spin stories, and and again, even even with the old English blue, there there are details that that you know get lost in the shuffle, and and they they exaggerate certain aspects, and and eventually, you know, you could you can ascertain certain things uh, about them. I had I had a, a somebody a few years ago uh, brought me a bottle of of E.H. Taylor OFC that that they claimed uh, it's been in the family for a hundred years. Blah blah blah. Um, it, it dates to the 1850s because uh, it was it was 60 years old at the time they lived in a particular house. It's like this whole convoluted story. Yeah, and, yeah. And and the guy tells it. Well, they he contacted uh, Buffalo Trace to to see if they were interested in it. And they kindly told him to, uh, uh, you know, have a nice day. So uh, I, I told the guy, you know, Taylor opened his first distillery in 1869. So to have a bottle from the 1850s is you know, really <laughs> impossible. And it's probably why they, they told you. Uh, yeah. not interested. But I examined the, the bottle and it, it appeared to me to be more like 1880s. And I did find on the label a quote by somebody who was uh, the collector of revenue for uh, the Seventh District of Kentucky, <laughs> and uh, I, uh, by the name of A. M. Swope. Right. So I, I I searched the guy out, and I actually found found him. He was the 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 collector of taxes in, in the area from. 1877 to 1884. So, yeah. you know, eventually, eventually you can figure it out. I mean, but I mean, yeah. as, but as far as like, I, uh, I've had to bring me bottles that I, I determined that really weren't authentic or couldn't be, couldn't be, uh, verified. Yeah. And you know, those never see the light of day. They go back to the guy who, who, who come to me. And uh, and that's it, you know. Hopefully, he doesn't pass them on to somebody else. And most of the times, he's he's been duped by somebody. Um, yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, somebody sent me three balls to McAllen to uh, to authenticate, and with 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 the caveat that if I thought they were were fake, I should just all together so nobody else would get screwed. And uh, that's what we did. We took video. It's on our website, and. Uh, I went through each bottle, and you know they—they they were all three of them were fake. One was uh, a label thirty-year-old, uh, a Grand Reserve of seventy-nine, uh, an anniversary the twenty-year-old, and and the uh, the Grand Reserve Blue Label thirty were were 
were obvious, obvious fakes. The printing quality was terrible. Uh, the, the direction of the of, of the watermarks and the paper were in the wrong direction. It was like all kinds of things wrong with it. Oh, and one 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 of the capsules was missing the N in Macallan altogether. And somebody <laughs> somebody somebody drew it in with a pen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and and they carried through the uh, the the fake labeling in onto the boxes as well. So I mean, they were absolute <laughs> fakes. The, the 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 anniversary malt was. It was a Macallan bottle, and it had a genuine capsule to it. But it was obvious. It was because of the length of the neck. It was obviously the seven-year-old that was bottled only for for the Italian market. Yeah, it had an Italian tax strip on it. So somebody somebody had swapped the label out and turned turned a fifty-dollar uh, seven-year-old Macallan into a, a you know a three thousand dollar. 25 <laughs> year old McAllen. But you know, so after we determined that that they were they were all fake, uh, we cracked them open. And <laughs> I, I sampled them on camera. I sampled <laughs> them on camera. One of them one of them tasted like a, a really bad cherry liqueur, almost like cough syrup. Oh, um one one tasted like a very harsh, bad blended scotch. And and the third one actually tasted like a nice whiskey it was the seven-year-old mccallan it was, certainly wasn't a 25 year old no so 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 we we poured we then poured them in a bucket and i took a hammer and i smashed those bottles to pieces <laughs> now your auction your auction that you have up and running there's a whole range that runs from you know um 17th century cognac or 18th century cognacs to uh the, but the irish stuff's really what i want to sort of talk about a little bit now you you've got some you've got a jameson royal jubilee from uh 1935 right uh i i contacted avery if they had any information about it because uh, i couldn't find anything myself and it looked like it looked like it was 1930 bottling so mm -hmm. i asked do you know anything about this uh jubilee bottling and they said oh yeah we did that like in 1990 or something like that like no, 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 no. This is like a much older bottle. And I, I sent them a photo of it and they came back like, oh, wow. We've never seen one of these. Um, and the last time they did a Jubilee, I guess, was, was 1935. So, uh, so that's, that's, that's how I put that down there. So, you know, at 37 years old, it's, it's also, uh, you know, late 1800s whiskey in there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's just a fabulous thing to have. Now, in terms of whiskey prices, it's actually, it seems to me, extremely reasonably priced for the estimate. The estimate's probably, I mean, at $1,500 upper limit. Um, that, I mean, that seems very reasonable to me. Yeah, well, at least in the U.S. market, Irish whiskey hasn't really caught on in the collector's market as, as yeah. much as it has over by you guys, I think over by you guys, a three to three to four thousand dollars would probably be uh, more appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if uh, you know our market over here can warrant something like that. I mean, I ha I've had other rare bottles of of uh, Irish whiskey, and you know they, they just don't do the same thing the way Scotch does. And and yeah. as much as the the overall uh, Irish whiskey market has exploded in the last few years, absolutely. It, 
the collectible side of things for the antique bottles really hasn't caught up yet. Well, I, I there was a over the the whole COVID time, uh, a lot of the Middleton, you know, the annual release Middleton bottles really, really shot up in value. We saw that, but we started to see them dropping back down again. Uh, I think these old bottles are massively underpriced because they are extremely rare. I mean, there's not very many thirty plus year old antique Irish whiskies about. Well, you get 37-year-old there, the, the Willie Napier is uh, 44 years old. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do have in my collection uh, hidden away somewhere a miniature from Cadenheads of Jones Road, 48 years old, which is the oldest Irish whiskey I've ever seen my, myself. I've been... I mean, 40-year-old Irish whiskey is just... I mean, there's, there must be very low hundreds bottles of, of it in the entire world of all descriptions. I mean, there's just none of it about. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, uh, yeah. Some of the things that never came to the U.S. market were those, uh, the Napoleon Castle, uh, 1951, where they did several bottlings of that. And they were, mm-hmm. you know, most of them, most of them weren't single barrels. Some of them were, but, you know, mostly they, they had, they had blended the, the barrels together for for uh, for the commercial uh, aspects of it, but there were there were other vintages from the late forties to early fifties that were in the in other other age ranges. Should someone from Ireland decide, and I'm, I'm thinking of Justin here, by the way, should Justin decide to buy? And let's be honest, the old Dingle Jews really what Justin would be after. That's the, that's the level Justin's at these days. Um, if, if he did win the auction, is there a way of Skinner shipping it to us? So can we organize that through your... Um... Shipping, shipping is a difficult situation right now, uh, especially since we're in Massachusetts, and Massachusetts is cracking down on, on any, any companies trying to ship out of state altogether. And, uh, but there, there are ways. You know, if somebody, we, we, can, we can box it up. Uh, we've got a, a crate ready. With uh, padded, it's in a, it's in a padded case as well. So you know, if somebody wanted to come over and pick it up, it might be the the safest thing to do is to come pick it up yourself and and tote it back in in your luggage. You know, just we, just we a, make, it would be in a crate. I have the private uh, jet in standby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, private jets in standby. Unfortunately, they wouldn't give you permission to land the Globe Star there because uh, because of the global pandemic. But there you go. They're not letting us in. They won't let, won't let anybody in who's not a, a, a US citizen. We're, we're, we're kind of we're kind of ground up. We can't get to you. But, you know, but we, we have one in standby just in case. Just, we've, got the, <laughs> we've got the jet fueled up just, just whenever Justin lifts it, we're going. Listen, I, I want to ask you a question, and this relates to in the UK and Ireland, uh, especially in Scotland, uh, dormant distilleries have been reestablished. Is that a thing in the States? And if so, if a dormant distillery or a name comes back to life, uh, does that increase the price of old whiskey or does it drop the price of the old whiskey? I think it increases it because you're going to have people that, that are, are that much more fascinated with it and, and outside of the, uh, uh, the, the hardcore enthusiasts. Um, things like Bellin and Brora, um, like you would be mentioned, that, that are being revived 
in Scotland as we speak. Um, but prices on those things have been going up, even though they announced that, that they'll be going back online very soon. Um, some of the things over here would be uh, like Michter's. Michter's has roared back to life. It's, well, it's no longer in, in uh, Pennsylvania, but it's in, it's in Kentucky instead of Pennsylvania. But it's roared back to life, and uh, some of those bottlings are going, going through the roof, too. Uh, we've got a 20-year-old a uh, uh, Michter's uh, single barrel that's, that's uh, up to $4,000 right now. Yeah. Wow. Now, there's another couple of things that I, in, the, in the auction that caught me. I looked through the, the, the lots today. I mean, an old California brandy from 1910, and it's set in the estimate. Now, obviously, the estimates, I know that's not what it's going to be funny, but the estimate's $200. I mean, that seems ridiculously cheap. But that's what, that's what those kinds of things go for, because it's, it's a California brandy. You know, it was it was probably made just to be as uh, I think it says on the on the on the on the bottle as uh, for family or medicinal use or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I mean, some of those things they're they're more novelties than anything else. Yeah, but I mean, just for the sake of having something, I mean, California. Let's be honest, was a very young state in nineteen ten, um, and and the fact that there's a brandy from that, I I, I think is a collectible. You know, in ten years' time, somebody who buys that for two hundred dollars will think themselves they've got themselves. I, a nice I, I had one last year, I think, a similar bottle. It might have been uh, even a, uh, a very low fill level, much much poorer condition than this one. It, it and it sold for like one hundred and fifty dollars. It does just seem very. And I know condition for the collectors, condition, condition, condition. But if you're going to buy something. $150 that's of that historic, you know, it's that historic and there's that bit of a story to it. It's a very tempting drink. Um, so the guys who have got a nice pristine bottle of it, a good bottle of it, I think in, you know, five, ten years' time, they'll be thinking, I made a nice investment there. I mean, I buy a lot of these things when I get uh, bulk, bulk stuff. I, I try to sell them in, in lots of three or four. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like the rule of three, where somebody likes to drink one, uh, save one, and display one. And if they've yeah. got a fourth one, then they've got they've got trade bait as well. Um, so, so I mean, and usually there's one that's in the in poorer condition than the others, and so they'll want to save save and display the the nicest one. And they'll drink the 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 poorest one. Yeah. Uh, exactly, and and, I, mean, and I do that. I do that myself. So uh, yeah. you know, just I, I once upon a time when I started doing doing the auctions from this side of things, uh, somebody said to me, it was actually uh, one of the one of the car uh, uh, specialists said, you have you have to sell with a buyer's mindset. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 the same as any. You have to remember your head over your heart because it's very easy to go just one more bid, just one more bid, you know. Yeah, yep. and it's the fever, and it's all over. Yeah, and suddenly, suddenly, you, you set a new, new, uh, a new precedent for a bottling. Well, yeah, well, I, I tell people they say, well, how much is it going to go for, and how much should I spend, and how much should I? I said, don't, don't, don't ask me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you know, if if you're worried about it. You know, just set a max bid, 
and and you know close close the browser and forget about it. And if you win it, you win it. And if you don't, yeah. you don't. But uh, if if you're gonna start chasing things like that, and, you know, it's it's kind of like gambling. You know, you get it in button, and it's very hard to. Yeah, that, that's that's that. It's, it's dangerous. That is really dangerous. dangerous. It's dangerous. like somebody with the, with the card in a casino. Yeah. Know? That's why they uh, they had to move the, the ATMs out of the casinos. The people were doing that. <laughs> yeah, I, but it's 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 fun as well. And as long as people have fun doing it uh, and getting your collection, oh, uh, popping the bottles I, every I, so often. I, I've proposed to to management to uh, um, as as a marketing ploy. Why go to why to go casino? Yeah. You're just going to lose your money. You know why go to the racetrack? You're going to lose your money. Oh, election? Well. Bid, bid on something, and then you know you're going to get yeah, it, and you go, you go home. That's a, that's a good market employee. Yep, it is. Definitely. I like your thinking, Joe. I like your thinking. Yeah, and especially if you get a bottle of booze at the end of it, and you can all sit down and have a have a, a nice old bourbon yeah. or an old Californian brandy. <laughs> now, or, Joe, or an Irish whiskey from the 1880s, or an Irish whiskey from the 1880s. Now you have your Napier, uh, you have a two Jameson. You have a much more contemporary bottling. You have the twenty-four-year-old Teeling, right. which was which was voted uh, best single malt in the world. That bottling, um, and it's nice to see some of the new contemporary stuff appearing up against the old historic bottles. You know, because it has its own story to tell. Yeah, well, we also uh, from time to time, you know, every auction is different. We don't always get something that's that's going to be, uh, you know spectacular or, or unique or whatever, but we often get, get bottles of like say Middleton's uh, very rare or things like that. You know, the, the old Jameson's bottles from like the the forties, fifties, sixties, they pop up more, more readily. It's just nice to see Teeling being there along with the, the, the old guys, you know, because in a, in a lot of years time, I'll be standing there, I'll be there in its own right um, as something that people will be yep. desirable and be sought after. Yep. Again, especially after people drink up a bunch of them too, and there's not very many left. Not very many left. That's it. And as long as people keep popping the corks, the people that are holding on to them, they're happy as well. You know, they're spreading the love in a in a different way. Everybody in the room gets a drink. Everybody's happy. And some guy sitting on his little collection in Maryland, he's going, "Thank you very much, guys." Later, the, later this year, you know, an elderly couple that uh, been collecting whiskey for the last twenty twenty five years. And they're approaching uh, eighty uh, themselves, and they, they don't want to leave it to the next generation uh, to deal with. Yeah. So they're they're looking uh, they're looking to cash in. Well, they're looking to get out. Cashing in is just a a, a wonderful bonus. Yeah. Has the lockdown helped the online market? Because obviously, uh, for a while there in the states, people weren't allowed to attend the auction in person. Uh, but obviously, with people being stuck at home, they've maybe got into auctions, which of course can be accessed online. Has that increased your business and awareness locally and globally? I think, I think that again, there's like a like a double effect. You have people sitting at home. And just looking at and, and it's and it's affected auctions across the board, not just in whiskey. All auctions have suddenly like jumped the past yeah. year. Everybody's sitting home to do, and and in many cases they're getting uh, significant unemployment benefits because of lockdown and stimulus checks. 
what are they doing? They're spending it. And sometimes it's innocuous stuff, uh, you know, on elections and whatever. And then and you also have uh, the whole, you know, alcohol business on the retail base has, has been booming because the bars were all closed and people needed yeah. their drinks to put the pandemic in. They're drinking up collections, drinking up whatever they get their hands on, and they're trying to replenish their, their stocks too. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very interesting time in many, many ways, but the, the auctions uh, are seemingly rare spirits and whiskies are just keep getting more valuable, more collectible, and uh, it's a nice it's a nice thing to be involved with. Uh, I, I thoroughly recommend people do it because it's there's a, it covers a lot of bases for a lot of people. Well, it's also uh, you know, the mainstream auctions for for whiskey is is relatively new in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things. Um, you know, it's not until let's say the 1990s and into the early 2000s that you know the regular people could start getting into this stuff because yeah, the internet opens everything up for everybody. Yeah. And, uh, you've got the eBay's of the world and, and before, before the, uh, the federal government here cracked down on eBay for selling, selling whiskey online, uh, through their, through their site, um, people were, were trading, trading there. Um, yeah. but you know, it, it's just expanded and you can see over there in Scotland and, uh, Germany and, and other places in Europe, even in, uh, in Ireland, uh, the proliferation of of uh, auction houses dealing specifically in whiskey as as yeah. do, do you need a liquor license to uh, sort of uh, auction uh, whiskey well, there? I know s- smaller auction houses will throw throw bottles in here and there, and I don't think the authorities are going to do anything. Um, about that, it's kind of like uh, estate sales. Also, if uh, you know somebody's somebody's selling their parents' uh, stuff at a yard sale, uh, estate sale, and there's some bottle of liquor, you know the the state isn't going to come down and start uh, harassing somebody over that. It's 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 only if they start advertising through like an estate uh, liquidator, and the the liquidators they're they're not going to risk their own business license to sell sell uh, alcohol illegally. So they won't sell them. It's usually just uh, somebody, somebody that's uh, in their own yard sell, and there's a few or something, and nobody, nobody really cares about that. It's not like they're doing a of it. Yeah. So once 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 it gets in, it crosses that line. That's when the government starts to notice. Um, smaller auction houses will will throw bottles in there as well. And again, it's it's as a collectible. You know, no cares that that they're gonna it's it's more uh, a fine line in that in that regard i suppose if they were doing it uh on a regular basis and large scale then then there would be an issue with whatever state they're in and probably even the federal government but um by and large to, to any kind of line or uh spirits in the u.s you really have to have some kind of uh retail license to work it through because the only way to really distribute direct to the consumers is through a retailing license. So we, we have, we have a partner, you know, we're not, we're not one of the the huge auction houses out of New York that have their own uh, 
wine shops attached or anything like that. Their own retailing branches that 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 we can you know access their license. So we do have we do have a business partner in that regard, and we we basically piggyback their license to do this. Yeah, that's what that's what yeah. uh, some of the auction houses do here. They've they've told us that. Yeah, but they, there's some of the stuff. Now, Joe, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I will be keeping an eye on this auction. Um, and who knows? I might steal Justin's credit card and buy some buy something for Justin. You know, as a nice present for Justin sometime. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, another little uh, tidbit uh, uh, on doing research on these bottles. Uh, the Burks that we have in the, in this sale. Yeah, I, I found the chemist label on the back. Uh, was a professor of hygiene and chemistry <laughs> at the Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin, and, uh, and when I I searched him out and I found out that he was he was professor of hygiene from like 1875 to 1880, uh, <laughs> and then he became also professor of chemistry until 1885 when he was when the the vice provost of of the uh, of the college or some such thing, and uh, he was no longer professor. So I, I kind of figured that it was the only time he was both professor of hygiene and chemistry was roughly eighteen eighty 1880 to eighteen eighty five. Yeah, so that's when that bottle's coming from. It's just a fa- it's a fabulous bottle. Um, yeah. As long as it wasn't Burke of Burke and her, the body snatchers, you're all right. <laughs> yeah, or uh, at the creepy shop on the Harry Potter movies. Uh, <laughs> <Bergen> and Burke. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Joe, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, we will keep an eye out on the auction. Um, I, I, I'm really interested in the angle, but I want to see what it does because I, I think I think it could do something nice. You know, it's a lovely story to it. So. We'll let you go and we'll yep. catch up with you again sometime soon. History, that's for sure. Yeah, this is it. It's got its own history. Uh, so thanks very much for talking to us, Joe, and all the best. We'll catch you soon. Yep, my pleasure. Have a good one, guys.